It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Crisis. Right. Remember uh, Rom Deadfish Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. It's part of the world of politics. When it's there, you use it if you're not the one on the defensive. So what about a case for letting a crisis go to waste or crises go to waste? And how we need or should have an Abuse of Crisis Prevention Act to help rein in runaway government growth. Three words that truly do matter. Uh, Wayne Cruz, Vice President for Policy and Senior Fellow at uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute, joins me. Wayne, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm going to steal that dead fish term. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it, 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 look, it's a part of the, the world of politics, and tragically, it's effective at times, and not always effective in a good way. Well, what struck me during COVID, and you've probably had guests on your show uh, doing chapter and verse on overreaction and things like that, but what really struck me about this was that this was the third crisis of the 21st century, not not the first. You know, we'd, we'd gone through 9-11 and the creation of the, of the Department of Homeland Security. We'd gone through the financial meltdown. Each time, the federal government that's culpable in a lot of ways for the bad things that go wrong and then the bad reactions, each time the government grows and gets away with it, and it occurs to me that when you look at the CARES Act, you, you you go back and look at some of Mitch McConnell's early pronouncements of we've got to go big. And then when Trump signed the CARES Act, he turned around to Mitch McConnell as he was putting his signature on it and said, this has got a T on it. This is six trillion. I've never signed anything this big, but I guess we got to do it. There is nothing, David, that is restraining Congress the next time this occurs. I spend most of my time on the regulatory state. You know, I do this report called 10,000 Commandments because I think regulations matter more than spending does. But now the spending itself is regulatory. Once government it, it, and, and the left's North Star to me clearly is a uh, universal basic income, which which I consider to be the plural of apocalypse. But what I frame in this new report, and I, I really appreciate you having me on to uh, to talk on it for a few, couple minutes, but is what Congress has to do to react to the, the potential of crisis and to be ready for the next crisis. Because right now, if another threat hits or another crisis hits, they're going to do exactly the same thing unless they're stopped. So just in in brief, what this goes through is shoring up resiliency in the economy. A lot of it is is uh, reformatting the and getting rid of the administrative state. You know that you could call that Title One. Title Two would be fostering household intergenerational wealth rather than intergenerational debt, which is what we're doing. And then the helicopter government that goes along with that, with all the censorship and surveillance that they attempted with the uh, uh, you know vax tracking and things like that. Title three, you might say, business and corporate prepping to prevent all the rent seeking we saw because you saw the fraud. You had the chamber in the first chamber of commerce in the first week of the crisis sending letters up to the hill asking for bailouts. But as you know, most well-off companies made out like bandits. They did great. If you were the corner restaurant, you suffered. If you were a chain, you did fine. So we got real problems with the way we respond to crisis. And now we know from COVID though that mega risk like that 
barring an electromagnetic pulse, <laughs> we know mega risk can be insurable. And so we don't have to have government step in like that. Title IV, you might say, and these blasted emergency declarations, the central planning that never worked that end up with ventilators and landfills and things like that. Title V, you might say, state sovereignty. You know, everybody talks about federalism, but in the same way that the progressives have, have undermined the Constitution, they've also undermined federalism. But we have to talk about state sovereignty and all of these billions, hundreds of billions in programs, uh, job training, education, infrastructure, go back to the states. That money doesn't need to take an orbit from the states to Washington and then back to the states. And then it leaves states with their hands out for bailouts when they've just frittered the money away on pensions and other waste. And finally, I'll just say we have to discipline this stuff. It has to be uncomfortable for a politician to ever abuse crisis again. And that is a big conversation. And we're having a lot of conversations about discipline and punishment. The left certainly wants to punish the right. In virtually everywhere you turn, people want to punish police officers. What about punishing the uh, the ones who abuse crisis and cause much more damage? That's kind of an overview. I know I, I went on too long. I usually don't do that when I when no, I you didn't. Because I we don't have enough truth. time to go into this uh, <laughs> in, in detail if we did the entire show on it. But we, we want to give people, uh, call it the overview perspective you just gave, and then mm -hmm. dig in a little bit more. And, you know, when, when you talk about waste and spending, you know, I'm hearing it. what is a kind of a, a well-laid-out argument on the problem with the process itself in the system as it works, whether it's the example of money going to the federal government to come back to the states. You know, there's so much, so much to this. But, you know, we're, we're missing things that, get in the way of behavior. I, I don't live in the, the, the Pollyannish view, and I, I hope no one does, that we are going to ever fully uh, restrict, stop government from operate, operating the way it does. We need it to operate better and operate within the parameters, whether under federalism with the state's responsibilities and where the federal government is only supposed to have a responsibility, regulatory, legislatively, or otherwise. But the problem here is they've taken away, as I see it, uh, Wayne, and remind me and correct me, rather, if I'm wrong, they've taken away the things that occasionally get put in their way from taking any crisis and abusing it. We see the examples afterwards. Uh, out of the American Rescue Plan, we now have stories coming out about wasting money. And it's, it, it, it's sometimes ridiculous to think of it in these terms. But, you know, you look and you go, oh, you know, a couple of hundred million wasted. I don't, but a lot of people will. Boy, out of a trillion six, that's really a drop. No, it's not a drop in the bucket. It's a giant bucket. Anybody would want to, you know, a, a couple of million or a hundred million in their bucket if they could. But they do this. And, and when the Stock Act was put in place, for example, they changed the rules in the Ethics Committee. They, they altered them cleverly and ever so slightly. Uh, they, they, create, they create basically a way around this. And then they have a position called a parliamentarian who doesn't get to be a parliamentarian in case they violate something. They just adjust the rule. Right. <laughs> 
Well, I noticed that early on, and if they had, if part of the the buildup of these programs, and you might remember after the CARES Act, a whole lot of things happened. You had even Trump, where we had taken on uh, Joe uh, the uh, pen and phone of President Obama with the executive uh, taking steps, not laws, not regulations, but new guidance documents, memoranda, and so forth to expand programs. You saw that happen with uh, with respect to even what Trump did. But if the if the progressives had been able to, there are a lot of things they wanted to add to the CARES Act. You know, they they were ballooning the programs like um, the eviction moratorium, for example. That was that preceded the CARES Act, and you the same thing with the student loan deferment, which the crisis is over, but they continue with that debate too. And it wasn't just Rahm Emanuel; it was so many others who said we have. These, this agenda, we have things that we would like to get done. The crisis is a perfect opportunity, and they, they, the term they would use often is reset. I know you've talked about that a lot, but they would use reset. Biden would call it build back better after he got in. There were a lot of things that they wished they could have added to the CARES Act, and they, did, they weren't able to. Some of that expanded a year ago, December, when the defense reauthorization happened under Trump. Then Biden expanded things with the American Rescue Plan. He intended to do it more with Build Back Better, which now has been renamed as Building a Better America. But unfortunately, he was able to get some of the essence, some of the philosophical essence of what the resetters wanted to do in two bipartisan bills. And and a lot of this can't happen without Republicans going along with it. That's one of the problems we have, too. But the bipartisan infrastructure plan that initially was called Endless Frontier, these things occur with massive amounts of new government investment in business, which makes business less resilient in the future, not more resilient. And plus, it introduces all of these rent-seeking and uh, and cronyism-type problems. Now, in the name of competition with China, they're doing an innovation bill, and it's in conference now. It's going through both the House and the Senate. So even with the end of the crisis, when the country is already $30 trillion in debt, you find bipartisan moves to expand government even more with money that that we certainly don't have, but also just the ideas are flawed. I mean, the, the, the notion that the government should do these kinds of investment, I think, is a really bad idea. The way our the way our founder at CEI would frame it, you know, you don't need when you're talking about the economy and business and how you spur innovation and infrastructure, you don't need to pick the winning racehorses to run around the track. You just need to improve the track. And I think that's what we have to do to prepare for the next crisis to do, as you say, preventing the, the um, exploitation of it the next time around. But we have really got to get moving on this stuff. What concerns me is that not a single thing I look at in terms of what's in the infrastructure bill or the new innovation bill, none of it is geared toward making sure that the next time there's, there's a shock, and believe me, there's going to be a shock. <laughs> we've, we've had them every 10 years. I'm not, a, I'm not a historical determinist that way, but we've had them all each of the past 10 years. There's going to be another shock. If we don't set things straight and reverse this top-down planning that's coming from infrastructure and from so-called innovation, we're going to be in a much worse position. 
And I really do think, and we saw it in the the expanded unemployment benefits, we, we're seeing it now with the child care proposals and, and so forth. Much of what the left is trying to do is to get the middle class, able-bodied adult dependent on government programs. They're desperate to do that now, but they're really desperate to do it before there's another shock that hits. And unfortunately, Let's, Republicans, for whatever reason, are not standing up to put a to put a stop to it. Let's dig a little deeper to the top down issue, uh, to the the issue of who are who's up there. And I'm not even picking a party. Matter of fact, I'm picking on both parties in this case. If you look at the people in charge making the decisions, the problem is both the people in charge making the decisions and the system in place supports this. So whether, let's say, a good congressman or senator or a few on each side or a few in whatever with several want to change something, in yeah. the case of getting rid of the people at the top who are making the decisions, it's impossible to do so. The leadership on the Republican side, the leadership on the Democrat side. Uh, one of my, one of my, one of my, I don't know, favorite picking points with Republican leadership that you raise money as an elected official and that determines your committee assignment and and in part your seniority not just based on time in service so they create a system that keeps the same people at the top and let's say there's a viable challenger the system itself is set up that if you don't go out and outraise congressman x who's been here for 20 years you're never going to get that seat it's bold Okay, I was going to say a bad word there, but yeah. but but they create a system like that. So the challenge is, in order to get the top to change, you got to get rid of the top. Well, I understand your metaphor, and to uh, metaphor, it's reality. Much, this is the, these are the rules today. that Paul I'm Ryan refused to in. change. <laughs> it's killing but, me. But well, look, I would say here's one thing: we were having a conversation recently about some of these things, and and it's certainly true. You know, one part of the debate is if people say, "Well, you got to have term limits." We don't have a position on that at CEI, but I certainly think they make a lot of sense. I, when I worked on the Hill, I worked for Senator Phil Graham back in the 90s, and I remember somebody calling in and saying, well, I'm in, and, and I, I'm in favor of term limits, um, and, and I'm from uh, – and he was from uh, you know, Arkansas or something. I said, are you from Texas? Uh, he's not your senator. He said, well, if he's making laws that affect me, then he's my senator too. And that point struck me, and I talked to some of the people in the term limits – field about that too you know you've got nancy pelosi in, of san francisco for decades making laws that affect the rest of us and none of us can get rid of her and people talk about democratic accountability and things like that but a deeper problem with this remember we, joe biden could not have gotten his debt limit increase in december without mitch mcconnell and there were a couple of episodes where mcconnell took steps and made sure that it ended up happening when what the republicans responsible ones ought to have done is prevented a debt limit increase because guess what it seems like that's the only institution left the debt limit that can force a shrinkage in the government and can force it to cut somewhere else and i was disappointed that nobody pushed that and i remember shutdowns three years ago when we closed several departments and nobody noticed 
except for the Post doing stories about an IRS employee who wasn't getting a paycheck and, and the National Park being closed, which, you know, the National Park goes back to our federalism issues. They, they could be run by states. The federal government owns more than half of the West. But our biggest problem with all of this, I wish term limits were an answer, but the problem is Congress has too much power or another way to put it. And, of course, we talk delegation all the time. It's a big part of my work that it gives agencies too much power. But the biggest problem is, in a way, the Congress is assuming powers that you and I and our countrymen do not have to inflict over one another. We do not have those powers to delegate to Congress, which is now turning around and inflicting them. And the way I joke about it sometimes, I say, okay, great. If Congress is picking a national bird, fine. <laughs> but when it's but when it is initiating these gargantuan programs, you know, robbing some and paying others and doing these massive wealth transfers and these new massive human engineering programs, it's vastly crossed the line. And then th- that's crossed the line way before it gets down to the point of, you know, some HHS administrator carrying out the program. The problem is that Congress assumed a massive power that we don't even have to delegate to it. So we've really lost the whole notion, the whole concept of limited government. And a part of this abuse of crisis prevention, you know, I mentioned expanding intergenerational wealth rather than intergenerational debt. A big part of addressing crisis in the future is going to really come to grips with what the role of a government of a limited government is. And I think that's a you know you talked about deep diving. Gosh, you could you could do that a long time, but you know we can we can go back to um, you know basic steps and basic principles about a, what a gov- what a government is good for. What is an entity that uses force and pushes people around and can pass big laws that uh, amass and expend resources? What can it really do that's useful to society? And what are the things that society ought to do on its own? And I think yeah. there's a lot of regrouping like that before the next crisis. It needs to take place or our, the next generation. Not, not, well, one thing, we, we will have caused the next crisis because of our big government ways. And then the next generation will be left flat-footed and depleted and bankrupted and won't be able to address its own crises. And we don't have a right to do that to them. Yeah. Well, I would like to just give Congress the bird. Have the bird poop on the <laughs> there you go. Men would would not be a bad idea occasionally uh-huh. to all you all you pigeons in D.C. Uh, but anyway, I've got to leave it there, Wayne. It's been a real pleasure. I hope people get the point my, of what we're talking my about. Pleasure. Though, you, you've got to take the system on. And by the way, to that term limit thing, the founders gave mm-hmm. us the power. We have to exercise it. Wayne, thank you, you. You bet. My pleasure. Have a great week. Great weekend. You as well. Wayne Cruz, a vice president for policy and senior fellow at uh, CEI, uh, 10,000 commandments.com. Great website. So check it out. And of course, CEI at uh, CEI.org. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.